Well, I want to say first off, thank you for being here today. I just, I'm very not wanting to preach, just to be honest with you. I was just, just tired and, and I was sitting there and I was just, I was thankful for what the Lord's doing in the, in the, in the church and ministering to one another. But sometimes you just, you walk up and you're just like, I, Lord, I just feel, you know, empty, you know, and I just feel, I just feel, I just desperately need the, I need God. I need the Lord and I know he's faithful, so I know he'll come. But I was thinking this week and about what to minister. Pastor Lee talked to me earlier this week, asking me to, to preach to the church and to minister to y'all. And I was just praying about it and um, wasn't really sure. And then Thursday morning, I woke up and I was thinking about Pastor Lee's sermon from Wednesday. And I'm, I'm sermons built off of that. And so I'll get to that in case you weren't there Wednesday. I'll kind of tell you what he ministered on. But I was reading that morning uh, through the book of Acts, and uh, Thursday morning, and as I was reading, something just jumped out of the page to me that was in relation to what Pastor Lee somewhat ministered on Wednesday. And I just wanted to continue with that thought a little bit. And so for you to understand what Pastor Lee ministered to us is that he ministered to us about being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Um, he came up here Wednesday night and he preached a beautiful sermon that was impactful about us being soldiers of, of Jesus Christ that are willing to suffer with Christ and for Christ. And uh, that's what a good soldier of Jesus does, right? And he, he referenced Second uh, Timothy chapter two, two, chapter two, verse two, and he talked about how the good soldier of Jesus will do that. And that is the calling of all believers. We are all soldiers of Jesus. We are not, um, you know, just I get saved and I don't do anything. No, we're we're called into the army of God when we get born again. We're we're part of His army. We're part of His soldiers. And so uh, he referenced that and he encouraged us that as good soldiers, what we do is we put ourselves under the disciplines of Jesus. The disciplines of the Christian life. And the reason why we put ourselves under those things is so that we can be prepared for the battle that will come. Or the day of the battle or the war that is in front of us that comes in front of us. And um, he turned to Genesis chapter 14 where Lot is captured by some kings. And uh, Abram goes and rescues him. And he rescues him with 318 trained men, the Bible says. And Pastor Lee taught us that those tra- that what was impactful about that verse is that it said they were trained men. It wasn't that they had a crash course learning lesson that day about, okay, okay, do I fight like this? Do I do that? There wasn't this kind of thing. They were already trained for the day of war at hand. And so as Christians, we put ourselves under the disciplines as soldiers of God under the word of God and gathering with the saints of God and in praise and in prayer and all of these things. Not because it's just something we do, but we do it out of faith because the day of battle is going to come upon us. And we want to be strong in the midst of that. And so as I was just thinking about that morning and praying, and I just kept thinking about the term the soldier, that we are soldiers of Jesus. And, and how as soldiers, soldiers don't exist just to do whatever they want. They exist because they are part of an army. And in part of that army, their job is to fight and to war and to defend. And they are to accomplish a mission. They're to accomplish a mission. And so they don't exist just for themselves, but they exist for the purpose of the country that they represent or the king that they represent in our case, right? We represent King Jesus. And so we exist for him in this earth and we serve him in this earth and we fulfill what his mission is and we fulfill what he desires us to do and be. And the Bible is very clear and, and throughout Mark 10, I mean, Matthew 10, Matthew 28, all kind of places in the New Testament, especially the gospels, is that Jesus's mission becomes our mission. And that's not something that is optional. It's just part of our life. You enlist in the kingdom of God. You enlist in God's house and his family. You are enlisted in his army. You are enlisted in a way where his mission has become your mission. His life has become our lives. And so we begin to follow that with our very lives. Where we begin to go where God calls us to. And so we are soldiers of Jesus in this world. And and I think about that. And I think sometimes, you know, that's, and we might agree to that. But I think 
we, we, we could say yes to that. But the truth is, many of us today in, in the church of Jesus Christ, um, I think we don't really see the world, the world that we're in or the mission that we're on is really is that it's a battleground some ways. I think A.W. Tozer said, uh, we think too often of the world as a playground and not a battleground. And understand that God has created the earth first in joy. Okay. I'm not saying that because you go and the mountains are beautiful and all these wonderful things. But the fact is right now we are in a war. God has launched war upon the powers of darkness in this earth. He is taking ground. He is on the move. I heard some studies this last week that were just so encouraging to hear. They were just beautiful, but it was talking about uh, fulfilling the Great Commission in the earth today. And they were saying that um, in the 1960s, a bunch of missionaries and uh, missiologists got together and they and they did some a study that revealed of how many people groups in the earth, nations in the earth, ethnicities in the earth that had not heard the gospel or had not had the opportunity to be engaged with the gospel um, yet in the 1960s. And at that time, it was close to around 3,000, I believe it was. And right now, they, they have been tracking it still, and there's only over 140-something left. And the world, and they say within the next three to five years, every single person or every single ethnicity, every single nation in the world will have had the opportunity to have the gospel of the kingdom preached to them. And it just reminds me that God is on the move, that he has continued to move in this earth despite his return still coming closer. He is not just saying, well, fold your arms, church, and don't be, don't fulfill the mission, don't fight, don't, or just treat it like a playground. No, it's a battleground, it's a war zone. And I think it's a beautiful thing that God is still on the move. They said the two greatest places where a disciple-making movement is happening in the world right now is Iran and Afghanistan. And in the history of Afghanistan, they say they've never seen one, even from, from Muhammad onward, where God has moved in such a mighty way. People are being born again miraculously. And it's all because people, because God is on the move still today. The mission of Jesus Christ continues, and it continues through the church. It continues through you and I. And so what I want to minister to you today is I want to minister a sermon that I felt the Lord told me to title was Storming the Gates of Hell. Storming the Gates of Hell. And that may remind some of you, as it reminded me of the gates of, uh, not the gates, but the storming normandy right um and then in 1940s right when america went to war and this was a great battle this was the battle that essentially turned the tide of the of world war ii germany had a strong strong foothold in europe and it didn't look like there was any possibility of any of the allies getting in and doing anything but so many soldiers went into the day the battle of normandy and gave their life that day and stormed the beaches and as they stormed the beaches it turned the tide of the whole entire war in such a sense that today so many people are free and people were not more people weren't exterminated more people weren't killed because of the tire the tyrant of germany because people were willing to go and storm that that beach and i say for us we must be willing to storm the gates of hell we must be willing to storm the gates of hell as the church of jesus christ if we want to see god move in this world today if we want to believe god to do things and i just pray that today if my desires is just to stir us to a sense of hope that it is possible it is possible. I think sometimes we think it's not possible. We don't think that God can do what we, maybe we would say God could do it, but we just don't have the faith. And, we, and the reason why I'd say we don't have the faith is because we don't do what God tells us to do to see it done. And the truth is, is that God is able, and I believe that we can see it. And so I pray to stir hope in you and encouragement in you and just strengthen you that, y'all, we are this army. We are these soldiers. We are the good soldiers that God has called into the battle. And so I want to encourage that to be with you today. And so if you would turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 19. And I was reading this passage and um, it, just, it just spoke to me. It was a powerful word and it just was good. So I want to 
minister on it. And I really feel like the Lord put it in my heart. So uh, turn to chapter 19 and go to verse 8. And we're going to read from verse 8 to verse 20. And then I'll pray for us. Verse 8 says, And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took, and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. Their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of, the Jew, of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirits answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord was extolled. And many of those who were now, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver so that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So just pray with me. Dear Lord God, we come before you, God, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is your word that changes us, God. It is not the skill or the technique of a minister, God. It is simply your word. And your word has authority in this room. Your word has authority in our lives. Your word has the authority to change us and to move in us, God. And I pray that your word would stir us to great faith today, God. I pray your word would stir us to the battle. I pray your word would stir us to believe that, God, you are able to do something through us as a church and through each one of us individually in a way, God, that could turn a city upside down, God, that could cause the world to wonder what power is this that flows out of them. And Lord, I pray, God, that you'd be magnified in the midst of this. I pray, God, that you would help me. I pray, God, that you'd be made great and mighty, for you are worthy of all love and adoration and praise and honor today. Thank you for being our King. Thank you for being our Christ. Thank you for loving us so dearly and beautifully. Thank you for what we have with you, Jesus. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we jump into this, I want to let you kind of give you a little bit here with understanding what's happening is that Paul, it says right here, we're talking about he's in Ephesus, but he's, re, he's going to this place, the city of Ephesus. Up until this point, Paul has visited Ephesus one time in his journey. In the previous chapter, you can see it. Um, but he visited there and then he left there and then he comes back there. And when he was leaving there the first time, he said, I plan to come back to you. I hope to come back to you. And it had been Paul's desire to be a minister throughout Asia for a long time. And so the Lord allowed that by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit allowed that to happen. And he willed it for Paul to go. And so the text tells us that he spent two years in Ephesus, that he got to spend a good chunk of time ministering there. But it's, it's significant for us to think about because what I want us to see is that God can transform the world around us. That God can transform the city of Baton Rouge. I really believe that. I just ask you, do you believe that? Like, I, 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 and I, when I mean that, I don't mean like just getting people who were voted left to turn right. I mean people who were once bound by sin, people who are in gangs, people who are owning, uh, doing industries in this city that were horrific with trafficking, all of these things, people like that being changed to being born again. I'm talking about truly transforming a city. 
And I want to encourage you today that this is possible because this passage really just screams that. Because what Paul comes to is he comes to a city called Ephesus. And in, in Ephesus in that day in the, in the world was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Okay? So think about this. It's like Chicago, much bigger than Baton Rouge. And he comes to this city, and this city is not some um, moral city in any way. It's not some place, it, like, comparably to Baton Rouge, it is not, it's way worse as far as morality goes, right? Quarter of the things that go on. Um, it is the third biggest city in the Roman Empire. It is, so you have to think about it. It is a city of magnitude and influence. Uh, it's the largest city in all of Asia in the Roman Empire. It's the capital of that. It had the highest amount of income. It was significantly a big city and here comes a man of God a man of God who goes there because he wants to see God start a work he wants to see God move in that place in the midst of darkness Ephesus was known to be home to various different religious beliefs and the people in Ephesus participated in particular worship a lot of different worships but their particular worship was the goddess Artemis or Diana and she was the goddess of fertility magic and, and magic and so the, what you saw in the city of Ephesus was a real heavy sense of magic and things to the gods, to, uh, to Diana, this god Diana. All of these things where they were these occult practices. Um, it was so extreme that within Ephesus, um, archaeologists have found these books called the, the Ephesian writings. And what they are is they're, they're spell books. And they were known throughout the whole entire Roman world that this was a place that, look, the, like, demonic activity clearly went on there. It wasn't an if, it wasn't a wonder, it was a horrible place where demonic activity took place all the time. They say that you, you were more likely to find someone awake at 1 a.m. at Ephesus than you were at 1 p.m. Because of, of the, the life that was lived there, the, the, the debauchery and all the things that would go on there. So it was an intense demonic place. It was a place that had such a prop, uh, a popularity of magic and demonic things. Uh, demons were considered to be the cause of sickness. So everything was all that d- demonic stuff going on. And so this is a city that is very much enslaved to darkness. And so when you really think about it, this is a city that from the outside looking in, can this be turned around? Can this be turned around? Can a city filled with such debauchery, such sin, such darkness, can it be turned around? Well, we already read the passage, and so you get the idea. Yes, it can, because God does turn and move in the city of Ephesus in a mighty way. But the reason why I say that to us is to encourage us that our city is probably not quite like Ephesus, but our city certainly has issues. Our city certainly has things going on that, that seem to be very wrong and difficult. And, 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 and you know, if you look at per capita, Louise, Baton Rouge falls like top five in like all of the worst categories. You're like, really? I didn't know that. Violence, murder, uh, AIDS, trafficking. All of these things are actually really rampant in our city per capita. We're not necessarily a city that is like seeking after God. But I want to encourage it. God can do this. God can do this. And I know that his return is imminent. His return is soon. But I'm not going to fold my arms. I do not want to give up. I want to fight. I want to be a good soldier. And I want to go storm the gates of hell as a body of Christ and as individuals together. And so what I want to do is I just want to give you two things from this passage today. Not long. I think not long. Um, just two things that I just, as I was reading this, stood out to me about that this city, dark, broken, messed up, was turned upside down, and how it was turned up upside down. Because we hear that scripture all the time, right? Where you hear, um, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, right? And that the church is going to go against the, the gates of hell. And it's like, oh, yes, yes. And it's, it's like a rallying cry for church members. And people get excited and do backflips and kicks and stuff. And people get really pumped up about it. Um, but sometimes we're like, 
what does it look like to make war against the gates of hell? What does it actually look like on a day-to-day basis to make war against the gates of hell? And that's what I want to do. So the first thing I want to tell you is this. This is going to be found in verses 8 through 10. And it's this. To make war against the gates of hell is this. To preach the word and make disciples. To preach the word and make disciples. That is making war. That is saying the gates of hell will be beaten back. Is by preaching the word of God and making disciples. It's that simple. It's not that complicated. So if you look down with me at this verse, it says, so Paul's coming to the city of Ephesus. He, he comes to the city and he says he enters the synagogue and for three days he spoke, he spoke, sorry, three months. He spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil the way before the congregation. So what happens is Paul goes to this place. He goes to Ephesus. And like he normally does, his normal practice was to go into the synagogues. Because it would make sense. I'm going to go minister to the Jews. They would understand this first and foremost. So he goes to the Jews and he begins to minister to them. And he spends three months, y'all. Three months of laboring. Like that's a long time of really laboring. And I, and I think about some of the outreaches that we've been doing in our, in our church. We've had people now doing outreaches consistently in this church for a year, some maybe a little longer, um, and, or two years maybe, some people. But they've been laboring and laboring. And it's, it's a lot of work to labor. That's what he's doing, three months of labor. And you know what? He ends up being rejected. Like, he ends up being rejected. And this is what it tells me, that our laboring with the gospel and preaching the gospel, it does, rejection comes. Rejection's going to come. It's going to be part of it. But because rejection, as a good soldier, just because rejection comes, it doesn't mean that the difficulty of making war against the gates of hell, that I pack my bags and I get up on, I give up on fighting. Doesn't mean I give up on fighting. What was rejected? He went to the Jews. He preached to them. He preached to them the way. He preached to them the cross of Jesus Christ. He preached to them the good news of the gospel. He preached to them the kingdom of God that Jesus had come. He had brought the kingdom that forgiveness of sins were possible. And Paul says in Corinthians that to the Jews it was like a stumbling block. They could not understand it. They just did. They just did not. They could not receive that the cross was the wisdom of God. And they rejected it. It's funny because, you know, you think the people that the people that should have got it, the Jews, who would probably would have been the most religious in the whole city at all. If there was real, like any religious people, it would have been the Jews. And the religious people could not get it. They just couldn't. And so they rejected it. But what you see from Paul's his actions is just to encourage us is that, yes, Paul was rejected. And it says they became stubborn and they continued in their unbelief. Speaking evil about the way in the congregation. But it says that Paul withdrew and took with him some disciples with him to the hall of Tyrannus. Right? He didn't give up. He didn't give up. And for some of you right now, maybe right now in your life, you have been ministering the gospel to family and friends. Um, and some of you that are leading outreaches, I've heard you talk and you say it's been, it's been hard this semester. It's been difficult. It's been challenging. And you've been laboring. Paul's been laboring for three months and he doesn't give up when he faces rejection or when he faces the hurdles. And so I want to encourage you as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, when you begin to preach the gospel with your life, do not give up. Take the path Paul took and take those that are willing and keep going. Keep going. Keep preaching because this is war. 
Because this is war against the gates of hell. Because this is what it means to see the world as a battleground. We're taking ground. We're advancing God's kingdom. Jesus has extended his mission to us. He is going to come again and he's going to fulfill his kingdom. But until that point, we will advance his kingdom until he comes and consummates it fully. It is Jesus Christ, but we are the ones to fight this battle now. And so do not give up. Do not lose hope. Do not lay down the fight. Do not cease to open your mouth. And maybe some of you in here right now, you're like, I hardly even open my mouth at all. Begin to open your mouth. Begin in faith. Begin to do what God has called us to do. Begin to be the good soldier Jesus has called you into in his army and his mission. One of the things that you see here is that he's preaching, right? He's preaching these things. But when you look at verse, um, verse 10, I'm sorry, second half of verse 9, 9b, whatever that is. He withdrew with them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And when I was reading this, what stood out to me so beautifully was that Paul did this daily. Sometimes Christianity for the, for the cultural Christian is Sunday and maybe, and maybe Wednesday. And if, and if it is Sunday and Wednesday and Sunday night prayer, like, that's really good. But at, sometimes it's like the daily thing of Christianity is just not that, it's not that much of a flair. Right? It's not that exciting sometimes. The, the, the hard laboring of, Christ, of the Christian walk, the hard laboring that Paul did with these people was something that was a daily thing that took place in their life. And that's not as exciting, but the truth is, is that when you read this text and you understand, is it was the daily working of Paul's faithfulness, though he would have to get up and work with his hands, and though he had, to, and then after he got off working with his hands, he'd go and he'd spend hours teaching and ministering and discipling people and making disciples that that actually transformed the city of Ephesus. It was daily, the daily grind of the Christian life of pouring into one another, helping one another, equipping one another, strengthening one another, giving life to one another. That's what Paul was doing. The one, you know how he writes always talks about one another. Paul was a one another guy. Like he really did. Jesus talks about it and Paul picked it up and his whole life was always about one another. When you even look at this, um, when you understand, he says in chapter 20, he t- he's, he's departing to go to Jerusalem and he's with the, the, the people in Ephesus and the elders and he's talking to them and he says to them, you know my manner of life that when I was with you, I labored and I worked with my hands. And what Paul was doing during that time is he was a tent maker and he was working with his hands. And so I want you to think about this because sometimes we would say, well, you know, I can't do that daily. You don't understand. I work a full-time job, Felix. I'm not in your position. I get it. I totally get it. But I want you to know Paul worked a full-time job. Um, and if anybody could say they were tired was a guy who was named Paul who was a tent maker who was exhausted with physical labor after day and what he would go do with his life after he would get off of work would go and pour into other people and I'm not saying that means you need to get up like understand I'm not saying that means every single day you better get up after you get done with your job and go pour into people but it should make us really consider are we so like that's my time me me, Paul, then says, right after he says, what I did with y'all, right? I gave my life to you. I showed you how to live. I showed you how to live a life of sacrifice. That was a life of sacrifice to do that daily. But he did it because he cared for the body. He said, And then he, that's when he says, Jesus told us it was better to give than to receive. And I just say, you want to see a city transform. You want to see, you want to storm the gates of hell. You know what it is? It is daily investing and disciple making with one another and pouring into people and preaching the gospel. That's not that flair. That's not that exciting sounding, but the truth is it's, it's glorious. It's really the method Jesus did. It's really what Jesus did. If you look at it and if you, it's, there's, 
people kind of disagree on this, but most people say that Jesus, some people say 80, some people say 90. Jesus' ministry, 80 to 90% of his time in his ministry was, was spent with the few over the majority. Because he knew if he could impact the few, he could impact the majority through them. He poured into the few people in his life. And so, like, Paul went to the whole, the whole place, and they didn't receive him, so he took some that would. And he began to pour his life into them, because they received it. And because of that, what you see the result of this, what is the result? So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. What was the result? The result, because it was Paul was willing to sacrifice himself and to pour into other people. And not like, well, that's my time. I got off from nine to five and, and I'm, I'm exhausted and that's all about me. And, and I know that's difficult. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I say it myself. Okay. I know it's difficult, but I'm trying to get out of my American or my, my, my version of Christianity that's comfortable for me. And then I can justify everything and say, what does the Bible really demand and call of me? That's the most important standard. The authority of God's word. And so it's, it's this, this difficultness. But the truth is, is that Paul was willing to do this. And because of that, he poured into others. And it says, all of Asia heard. It's not that all of Asia took a field trip to come hear Paul. It was that he poured into people who would go pour into people, who would go pour into people, who would go pour into people, who therefore would continue to pour into people, and so forth. And next thing you know, all Jews, Greeks, and Asia had heard the gospel. That's called transforming a city. May not be exciting, and is definitely not easy. But it's consistent, and it's actually what Jesus commanded. It's what Jesus did with his very disciples. You know, Jesus gave a parable. He said, "The kingdom of God is like yeast and bread, right? And a little unleavened bread. And you put a bit of a little leaven in that, and then it would it would it would permeate through the whole thing and grow. And it's the same thing. It starts small, but you continue and you continue, and it takes over. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. And so this is something for us in our own lives. We have to even consider what Jesus did and how Jesus even did that with his disciples. Like this this whole thing of pouring into people to reach the world was the was the very means which Jesus commissioned to 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 enact the whole plan of redemption. To reach the world. It sounds silly. Like, let's be honest. Jesus said to his disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations. That's my big plan. That's it. That's what he's got. Like, you would think it'd be something a little bit more, you know, with more flair. But the simplicity was, I got 12 guys and you go, go, y'all go do what I've done with you. That was it. I've made y'all disciples. Now you go and make people disciples of me. That was his big plan. And he said, and so he anoints that plan. And that, that was his plan to reach all of the world of redemption. And so it may not be the most exciting. I mean, I was thinking about this kind of a comparison. If you're familiar, well, anybody should be familiar with a rock. Um, a rock, right? To make a change in a rock, what do you do? With, okay, with water. <laughs> Some of you are like, blow it up. Um, to make a change in a rock, what do you do? With water, sorry. All right, okay, I'll make it easier. All right, do you dump a gallon of water on a rock to make change the shape of the rock? Will that do anything? No, right? No, it doesn't, right? You could have, you could have a stone and you could put like 5,000 gallons and, 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 and the waves, you know, they hit something for one time. That one time hit's not necessarily gonna change that rock. But the steady flow of a drop, and a drop, and a drop, and a drop, and a drop, what happens to the rock? Because the change, right? Yeah, cracks, shapes, right? There's a hole in the rock. You see it when you go to the beach, right? These waves that have hit the same rocks over and over again. It shapes the rock. 
And it's the same thing where we begin to live life with one another, discipling and helping each other grow in Jesus Christ and become like Jesus Christ and know what Jesus wants us to be and do. It requires, and, and that requires more than just a Sunday Christian life. That requires a life where we're together. You can use FaceTime. It's okay. But we're together. You can use Zoom, any of that. But we're, we're, we're stirring one another. We're helping one another. And next thing you know, there's a life changed. Just like the consistency of that trial. And I just encourage you right now, y'all, if we want to see the city of Baton Rouge transform, it starts with each one of us taking that responsibility, saying, I'm going to preach the gospel and I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to preach the gospel and I'll make disciples. And maybe you're at the place right now and you're like, I'm not ready to make disciples. Well, then be a disciple. That's all I got to say. Ask somebody to help you learn what it means to follow Jesus. It could be that simple. Either be, ask somebody to help you or go make disciples. Help people. This will transform a city. I know it's not flary, but it is what we see happen in the city of Ephesus. It's a beautiful truth. And so just think of in your own life. God has placed you, each and every one of us, in these places where people are around us right now that God has given you to impact. It is not, um, I, I never want to discredit when we do events because events are important. I think they, I think they, they um, complement each other is the right word. I think they complement each other when we do events and we do this. But the truth is to really see the moving of God as it requires the whole army of God to be mobilized into this calling. The whole army of God mobilized into this calling. Every one of you. We all, that's what will change our city. The second thing, and again, I said I would only have two things. The second thing that I see that changes the city, and so this is where I'm going to bring the balance into this, okay? Is I believe that changes the city is when we proclaim and we seek the miraculous. Right? We're Pentecostal. So, all right, we're Pentecostal. And this is what I think happens sometimes. People want to pick and choose. They want to say, it's all, you know, we're just just miracles. There's no need for discipleship and, and evangelizing. And not that we're saying that, okay? I know our church doesn't say that. But people will emphasize and they'll find themselves on that one end. Or they'll find themselves on this one end and be like, we don't believe in the miraculous. And they're missing the opportunity to actually let the world see what Jesus is doing in the church. Like, they're really missing it in both ways. So if you, you can't neglect both of these. But when you understand the two together, what you see is you do see the city of Ephesus transformed. That's what you see. You see both of these things going on. So what you see in this is in verse 11, it says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. So first and foremost, let me just deal with a misconception here, just real quick. <clears throat> Some people take this passage and they take it as prescriptive, okay, when it's describing what took place, okay? Some of you may be like, oh, I know that already. But just for your sake, there, there are people, as a pastor, I want to shepherd this. There are people out there who will convince people that if you buy my apron or you buy this handkerchief, um, and you, you know, people really do this, they really do. And if you buy these things, you'll get healing and so forth. Because they see this in here, and so they say, oh, that must be me. Well, we must do that. But this is not what it says, because if you read this passage very carefully, it doesn't say the handkerchief healed or the aprons healed necessarily. It says, and God was doing and God was doing, right? He chose to do it through those things. Could he do that again? Sure. But that doesn't mean we just run and now everybody's got handkerchiefs we're throwing around and saying like, rub Pastor Lee's forehead and then, and like, <laughs> sorry, but <laughs> doesn't mean we're doing that, right? We are calling on God to do extraordinary miracles. 
He's the one who does the extraordinary miracles. That's what it says. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. It just so happened to be the hands of Paul But then. But I would say today, today it's the church. As it was then, Paul was part of the church. But for us, it's, it's us. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And it could be an individual in the church that God works miracles through. But it, truthfully, it's the whole congregation of Jesus that is working together that we see miracles happen. And when that happens, what happens, y'all? They're sending these things out because the people are recognized. It's public public and i'm just i was just thinking about this and man understand this miracles are for us they are for you jesus does a miracle for you okay because he loves you and he cares for you but they're also for him they're twofold here they're not just one thing right sometimes we crave the miracle because we want the relief for ourselves and nothing wrong with that i do not belittle that but understanding miracles are for us but they're also for him and i would almost say first and foremost for him because all things were created through him by him and for him and so the miracles that we desire to seek are for jesus and why are they for jesus so that they can bring glory to the name of jesus and so that the world around us can see that we have a living god a living god and i was thinking about this and and i i was convicted because man we've had we we have miracles that have happened in this church like, we, we have a list. Pastor Lee has a running list. If you've seen the list, he's read it to us many times. We have a list that God has, we, we've been privileged to look at. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, but me, and this is just me, I'm not saying you haven't, you've done this. But for me, I have not told a single lost person about one of those miracles. And the miracles exist for the church in that way. And I don't think that is necessarily wrong that we celebrate it in the house of God. It's, we should. But I think those miracles should be seen by the world and we should declare them to the world so that they can run to this place. Actually, I was going to call him out and he just walked through the door at this moment was that Kevin in our conference has had back pain for over 20 plus years, chronic back pain. And I remember him telling me a few months ago when we were cleaning out everything next door and he's like, I can't, I can't get down there. And he was over there laboring and doing so much serving the body of Christ with such back pain. And I think God saw that labor of love. I really do. And at the conference, uh, Bridget Ann Savino went over next, went over and prayed for him because we were praying for the sick. And he said that there was like a warm feeling that went across his body and he was healed and he has not experienced back pain since then, y'all. And yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. But I was, I, I was just thinking, about, I was like, why have I not put that on Facebook and boosted, if you know what boosted is, boosted that post where the whole entire lost world could see. Like, that is so incredible. That is a declaration that God lives. That is a declaration that our God is not a dead God. He's not a boring God. But through his church, he works miracles. He works church, he works miracles in a mighty way. God, who's a miraculous God, desires to work and demonstrate his power and his miracle power through ordinary people. But it's so that the world can see. So I'm, I'm, again, I'm not trying to say that we don't celebrate or we don't jump and hoot and holler what God's doing for us in here. But at the same time, let's get out of the streets and let's, let's get to the streets and kind of tell people, hey, I just want to tell you what happened at church this week. I just want to tell you about the man that was healed who could not do, could not get on the ground, could not experience the joys of certain activities in life. But now he's doing activities with his family because a God who lives healed him. That's what we are. That's what God does. It's the discipling life we make, but it's also the miraculous God we serve who's alive and well in the midst of ours. And that's what you see here. You see a God who is extra, doing extraordinary miracles alive and well. 
And it, it, it begins to change the city. And so then you get to this story that just seems to drop in the middle of it. And you're like, okay, well, what are you going to do with the seven sons of Sceva, right? Because you read the story and it's like, we've heard it before. It is a strange story. Um, <clears> that <throat> They end up, you know, getting beat up and somehow their clothes get taken off and they're run away. It's just a weird story. But when you read it, what you see is you see these Jewish itinerant exorcists who, what, are, what is their job? Their job is to actually go around and deliver people from demons. And they can't do anything. Can't do anything. Why? Because they don't have the power of God. Guess who does? You guys, us, the church, the body of Christ. So we can actually do something about those, that issue, but they can't. And so what they try to do is invoke something. Like they're, they're given the title to be able to, but they're not able to. Right? And so they, they're given this title and they go and they try and they fail and they try to mimic what, what Paul was doing. And the demon's like, bro, I know, I know who Jesus is and I, and I know who Paul is, but I, I do not know you guys. And he just whoops them. He whoops them. It's like clearly who won that battle, who won that fight. It wasn't, it wasn't them, those, those, those guys, the seven sons of Sceva. And when I, when I was reading this, I was thinking, man, it is amazing how the world tries to mimic the power of God. The world tries to fix all the problems. The world tries, like, let's be honest. There are people who are lost who actually are trying to fix things in Baton Rouge. They're trying to make things better. They are. They got these programs, they got these things they've built, they've got all these, but you know what they actually lack is the power to do and change the city. Can't, because they don't have the two things that change just the city, changes people's lives, the word of God and the power of God demonstrated to the church. And so it's like they're trying to mimic, they're trying to do the same thing, but they have, they don't have the ability and the people all throughout the city who are like, you know, well, we can we can see we can stop these things going on in our city. We can stop trafficking. We can, and and, and they've got good motives in some ways. Maybe these guys had good motives. I personally don't think so. I think they were doing it for themselves. But maybe they had good motives. But there's people in our city who have good motives who are lost. But they're trying and they're toiling and they're doing everything they can. And and in some ways they even try, try to mimic the church in certain ways. And they and they don't have the ability. And nothing comes of it. And the city just keeps going down its horrible cycle over and over and over again and violence increases and and crimes increases and so forth increases and everything increases because the world can't mimic what god has and the world can't mimic what the church can do only the church can storm the gates of hell and actually beat back the gates of hell only the church can change a city only the church can change a nation it is not politics it is not the, the economics it is none of these things that we put our trust in it is jesus and jesus christ alone and if we if we don't trust that first and foremost if we don't trust that first and foremost we're going to be mistaken because i see this sometimes where it's like i trust politics first then i trust jesus i don't have a problem with you being engaged in politics i think it's important we're engaged in politics i thank god for people like gene mills who are engaged in politics for us right now but the truth is as gene mills would agree with me is that we would say it's jesus christ and if i preach that first and foremost watch everything else begin to change this is the reality and this is what we need in our nation this is what we need in our city this is the call that we have is these things that God has laid out so easily for us. And so what you see is you see them try to mimic and they're not able to. And it says that after the people saw that, verse 17, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, right? So everybody's aware of this. Like the Bible doesn't lie. So all residents of Ephesus, the third biggest city in, 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 in the Roman Empire, so Chicago today. Imagine if all of Chicago heard the news about something. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. And so all the residents here, this both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord was exalted. It was exalted. 
when the world begins to see the power flowing through the church and we are able to actually set people free. And when people have gone, you know, they've gone to whatever, AA, and they try to do everything they can to help these people, and they just can't seem to get them fixed. And then they finally come to Jesus, and they come to the church, and they experience the power of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ that sets them free. And something's changed. It will impact people in this world. It'll impact people. And so it, it, and it, and it will exalt the name of Jesus over any other method or any other thing that tries to deliver people. It is Jesus' name alone. And Jesus, our Lord, who we sung about today, who can deliver these people? Verse 18 tells us that all, also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of it and it came out to be 50,000 pieces of silver, which several, people, several scholars would say that would equal to the millions worth of dollars. So that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And so what you see is you see this beautiful, in my opinion, when I read this passage, I see just two beautiful things on display. Is that you see this, this preaching of the word and this making disciples and the demonstration of God's power and miracles. And, and for us, you know, this text doesn't necessarily say go seek the miracles. But the fact is, and Acts, Acts is consistent throughout. But Acts 4, the disciples said, oh, they, they went to God and they said, Lord, you hear their threats. You hear what they say about us because they've just been threatened. And he says, would you, would you pour out your hand? Would you demonstrate your signs and wonders so that they may know? And so they asked, so I'm going to ask. I'm going to seek for the signs and wonders. I'm going to seek for the miraculous. And so even with some of this today, the way I want to end it, I actually want to end doing that is like, let's, let's do it. <clears throat> let's seek God for miracles. And then let's go out of the church and tell people about the miracles, right? Let's do that in such a way. But one of the beautiful things is what you see is the impact it has on these people is that they begin to give up their practices and the things that they once lived in. And a city is changed. Millions of dollars is of, of, of sinful things is burned up. And I was imagining this. I said, like, could you just imagine y'all? Oh, well, like, I don't want to be somebody that squashes dreams. I want to believe for a big, a, a really big God to do incredible things. I really do. And I'm asking you to join with me in faith to believe that. But could you imagine that these places in Baton Rouge that we know exist, these massage parlors, this is just an example. We know exist the horrific things that go in there, trafficking and all these things. Could you imagine if these things were shut down because of the gospel? And people said, burn all this stuff. Could you imagine if people who were part of gangs and, you know, they were, they were doing all these things and they were, oh, the, the meth houses and all these things. And they, they just gave it all up because of the gospel, because the power of God demonstrated the church and the church preaching the gospel and discipling people and helping them come to follow Jesus. Could you imagine how beautiful that would to see our city transformed in such a way? And I know that it's like, oh, that sounds nice. And it's easy to say, oh, God, it just... It won't happen. But you're right. It won't happen unless we actually say, we'll do it. Because I, I think one of the things I was thinking about is I, I, I'm tired of hearing in my own life um, this, well, you know, things are just going to get worse and, and, and it's just not going to happen. It's like, well, can we just can we hold off on that judgment until we actually do what was required to bring the change? And then if that doesn't work, okay, then fair, we did it. We tried, you know, we did everything by the grace of God that we knew to do. But until then, let's just, let's, let's labor with everything in us. Let's storm the gates of hell. Let's bring them down. And, and some of it may not be exciting. Some of it might be really mundane. It may be the day to day you investing in somebody in this room 
and needs to be discipled and needs to be strengthened in who Jesus is and understand who they are in Christ and what Jesus taught them and how to live. And it may be us seeking, and then we have the exciting part of it too, where we get to get the miracles of God flowing through the church and we get to proclaim those miracles to the world. But the beautiful thing is, and I'm going to close with this, so musicians, you can come up. The beautiful thing that you see with this is how this chapter really closes. I'm not going to read the last 21 verses um, because there's 21 more verses, but I'm not going to read that. But I am going to start in 23 and read some of this to you. And this is why I say the city was turned upside down. It says, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, right? So there's, there's a disturbance. The church has caused a disturbance. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver, uh, silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. I mean, he, he was, he's a big dog. He brought lots of money to the craftsmen um, and to the Artemis' temple. And these gathered together with this workman in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have made our wealth. Oh, I pray that people would say, Oh, gosh, we've made our wealth from corrupt things, and they end up laying them down. But this man doesn't. But it says, You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but also in all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying God that God's made with hands are not God's. There is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrespect, disrepute but also that the temple of the great goddess artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence from she whom all of asia and the world worship that's a destruction of darkness that's a destruction of the enemy's strongholds a city that was so enveloped in sin and magic and dark, just just a dark, dark place that even the lost people take note. If we don't do something about these Christians or this guy, Paul, we're, we're out of a job. I pray the casinos would say the same thing. I pray that all of these businesses would say the same thing and it not be done through necessarily we got to politically bind them. America tried to do that with alcohol. It didn't work. It didn't work. People just found other ways to do it. But it was done, it would be done in a way where the gospel saves and brings freedom from those things and changes people's lives in such a radical way. This is how cities are changed. This is how a city can be changed. One of the worst cities in all of the Roman Empire was changed. It goes on and says, like, look, the Artemis, Artemis' temple at that time was one of the most uh, significant temples, biggest temples in all the land. Um, it brought in million, it was the highest grossing income for all of Asia. And it's getting to the point where this guy's saying Artemis' temple is not even getting business. And so my point being, is very simple. Can God do this in our city? Only, only if we agree to be his servants and his soldiers. As Pastor Lee told us, we have to be good soldiers of Jesus. There's such thing as bad soldiers, right? And sometimes a bad soldier has to be chastened, corrected. But there's good soldiers. The good soldier is the one who's going to go obedient, obediently to where Jesus calls. And Jesus calls us to the front lines and to the gates of hell and to attack them. With the slow mundane of discipleship and the slow mundane of preaching the gospel on a daily basis... Or maybe it just seems tiring and it seems so difficult, but Jesus calls you and we are soldiers. We sung so much about him being our king today. If you look at the lyrics. King does not mean I can pick and choose what you tell me. It means he's my king. He who rules my life. Now he's a, he's a great king. Great king. 
but he calls us to the front lines, church. And, and, and I know, I'm, I'm, I know we're a busy church. I know we do events and we do all these things. I'm not saying let's add 20 more events. That's not what I mean. What I mean today is for each individual in here to make a, a, a heartfelt confession to God, to say, God, I want to be that soldier. And if that means going to the events, great. But if that means me spending more intentional time engaging the lost world that you have placed me in around the circle of influence, I only have that very few people in this room have access to. But me, Lord, I will be the good soldier there. I will storm the gates there. And as you storm the gates there, that's what changes the whole city. It's not just one event. It's the congregation storming the gates. And so my prayer is that we would say, Lord, maybe we have been bad soldiers. That doesn't mean you're not born again. But maybe we've been bad soldiers. We've been distracted from the fight. We've run the other way. And, and, and we turn to, well, well, I go to church. That's not quite just it, okay? That's not all that is entailed with the Christian life. And maybe you need to be in the place and you just need to confess, Lord, I confess I want to be a good soldier. But you are my king. And I want to be this. And, and, and ask him, God, give me the grace to be a good soldier. God always gives you the grace to be a good soldier. I'll never stop preaching the grace of God because it has changed my life. It has given me every bit of ability to toil. When I could not toil before, I can toil now. And so I ask you, if you haven't been a faithful soldier, just confess that and then ask for grace to be a good soldier. War. And then can we as a church just confess like God, we want to declare the miraculous. We want to make known the miracles of God do extraordinary works he has done it continue to do it and when you do it let us run out here like let's let's make it known i just ask you you know ask yourself have you told any lost people about the miracles done here i haven't forgive me god i have to ask for forgiveness forgive me god that's your miracle that's for your name that's to exalt your work